You're listening to The Alligator Podcast, a podcast where the independent Florida alligator, the largest student newspaper in the country, discusses our latest stories on the University of Florida, Gainesville, and beyond. Subscribe and tune in weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud to hear our latest episodes on news, sports, and much more. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter at The Alligator, as well as find all of our latest stories at alligator.org. center field that's down for a base hit all the way towards the wall taylor scores sipo stops at third a ribby double for Bryn thomas it's now 5-3 Hello and welcome to the Alligator Podcast. I am your host, Graham Marsh. You can find me on Twitter at Graham Marsh UF. Today is the sports section of the podcast. I am joined by Peyton Titus, current Alligator sports writer. Peyton, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am not too bad. Um, so Peyton, as you know, we are continuing the Remember series, which is uh, us going back with a whole lot of the alligator sports staff and talking about old gator moments, old gator memories, games um, from all across the athletic department, all kinds of sports. Um, so that makes me particularly excited about today because we're talking about a sport we haven't talked about yet. Um, the sport that you and I covered together uh, this past spring before, before COVID happened. Um, but before we get into any of that, Peyton, go ahead and tell Tell everybody where you can be found on Twitter, how long you've been with the alligator, um, maybe some other sites you write for and some other stuff you're working on, um, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at PETitus25. I've been working at the alligator since last fall when I was hired uh, to work on copy that with Jordan Perez. And last semester, like you said, I covered softball. Um, and then this fall, I will be online editor and one of the writers on the football beats, whether we have games or don't have games. Um, right now, I have a podcast in the works of my own. Um, Ainsley Lee and I are launching a, an all sports podcast um, with Chomp Talk called Bits and Pieces that we're really excited about. It'll come out um, this next week. And Noah Ram and I are working on a feature about the economic impact that the football program has on the city of Gainesville right now for the alligators. So make sure that you guys check that out. We'll probably come out by the end of this week, beginning of next week, something like that. Awesome. So, um, Peyton, as, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about what we are going to talk about today and for a lot of different reasons, but. One of those reasons being that doing these podcasts with someone that you covered that thing with is especially fun um, because y'all y'all are kind of on the same wavelength as far as being in the press box during a game and sort of what that's like and, you know, the press box with that particular sport and how the coaches are and how the SID is and all that sort of stuff. 
um, that doing a, a pod about a certain game with anybody else, you don't really get that same vibe. Um, so this game for you is especially interesting because correct me if I'm wrong, but was this, this was your first game covering anything for the alligator, right? Yes. It was so exciting. Um, cause it was my, it was my first in-person game because I think the week before we had the USF Rollins Invitational where, um, we had to report on those games like old timey baseball writers and using the radio broadcasts because we couldn't stream anything. Um, but then having my first in-person game be an exhibition between Team USA and UF softball was really, it was really cool for me and just a really cool trip because it was a night game and I had to get a special credential to talk to the girls on the national team and uh, we had Chick-fil-A for dinner in the press box, which was nice. Um, yeah, that this was, this was a special game for me, I felt like. So, so the game that, that we're going to talk about today is when, when Florida softball played an exhibition against Team USA um, before the regular season started. So, well, I guess was the was the UF was the USF Rawlings technically regular season games? Yes, it was kind of weird because it was there was a campaign at USF Rawlings. And then the next day, there was a game against UNF at home. So I guess it was before that the, the um, at-home campaign started, but technically it wasn't before the season started. Right, because yeah. that tournament was beforehand. Um, but this game was an exhibition. Obviously, playing Team USA was not part of the actual schedule. Um, but, you know, Team USA won 5-3. to three. Um which, you know, is kind of whatever. I mean, you're playing freaking Team USA. If you lose five to three, that's that's kind of a win. <laughs> if you're a normal college softball team and only lose to Team USA by two. Um, so, uh, Peyton, before we get into the, the details of this game and the nitty-gritty and the statistics, because um, that's all fun, but the most important part, Really, the most important thing in in this series that I've been trying to grab from everybody is why they chose the game they did. And we've sort of already hit it with this being the first game you covered and the first game, or sorry, the first game you covered in person for the Alligator and being in the press box and how, you know, covering a game like this for your first time, that's that's pretty unique in, in a lot of different ways. Um, but other than that, tell me what inspired you to choose this game to be the one that you wanted to talk about. Uh, well, this game, Team USA was doing exhibitions all across the country with NCAA teams um, prior to this point and after this point um, as part of their Stand Beside Her tour because they were supposed to be playing in the 2020 Olympic Games, now the 2021 Olympic Games. Um, and so they were trying to... Uh, I guess, kind of rally fans to get behind softball being back in the Olympics and also kind of drum up support for the college game as well because there's so much talent there. And even though they do, at least once you get to the college world, women's college world series, tend to get more national attention than most non-revenue sports, it's still not quite as much as like baseball. So, um, 
being able to, as a female sports journalist, being able to go to that game, being able to watch all of these women be amazing at their sport and be really nice people too, um, <clears throat> was a special experience. And then I also, in my gamer that I wrote, I remember being really struck by um, all the different fans in the stadium because a lot of those, there were three girls on the national team that were alumni of UF and they were coming to play in KS, the newly renovated KSP for the first time um, since they were in college. And so there were fans there from when they played ball at UF and then there were little girls in their um, age group jerseys, their age group softball jerseys who had been in diapers the last time these girls had played at UF, but now we're here watching this new class of um, softball players and, and finding their love for the game. And so even though I didn't play softball in high school, I swam in high school and age group, um, it was still something that kind of struck me um, as a former student athlete and as um, a female sports journalist to see all of these um little girls and and grown-up ladies uh kind of feed off of each other and inspire each other and tell me about what it was like covering that game because covering that game was not entirely like covering the rest of the season um it was a little different being that this was an olympic team um and i have pulled up your story from a series that we wrote over at the alligator called best game um and it's basically basically all of us wrote stories about the best game that we had ever been to that we had ever covered and we were just kind of picking um our favorite game from whatever lens we wanted to tell it through and you wrote about this game and it was best mm -hmm. game we ever covered and uh and what i thought was interesting was something it was it was one of the first paragraphs you wrote and you said in this game this game was big a special exhibition between team usa and the gators i had to apply for a separate credential for post game my first post game ever if i wanted to talk to any of the three former gators and future olympians which i really really did um so first first i guess the first question is why did you have to apply for um a separate credential and then what was that like being your first post game, having it be already a unique post game in the first place? I had to apply for a separate credential because Team USA's PR and communications um, department, I guess, is separate from US. And so normally when um, you go to a game, which you know, um, you only talk to, at least in our capacity, you only talk to the US team after the game and so if you wanted to talk to anyone from team usa you had to have your special team usa credentials so they knew um that you were allowed down there and, and to talk to them and ask them questions um and that post game was really cool actually because they had set up autographs i believe at the end of the game um for team usa so fans were on the field and then we were led down onto the field to talk to um coach walton i think i talked to kendall lindeman who was really fun to talk to i felt like in all her press 
engagements. Um, and then I got to talk to Aubrey Monroe, who was on the national team or is on the national team and also played at US. Um, so being on the field at night under all those lights and, and being next to people that I've seen around campus that write for ESPN Gainesville or people who've been covering this beat for a really long time for um, the Gainesville Sun, the local paper. Um, it was really cool because I, I felt like, you know, this is my first in-person game. I'm next to these people who have been doing this for a really long time. They're legit. And so I'm kind of legit being here with them and doing the same thing. Um, so that was definitely that was special because it was my first one and it was special because of where it was because normally at the end of the game we would just go down to the room where we usually have weekly media but that time you got to go on the field and kind of take in everything like all the stands all the lights and all that kind of stuff so so from the game itself um Tell me kind of kind of some things you remember that stuck out about this game. I believe it was it was Katie Cronister who pitched. She pitched the start of the game, right? Right. And then, but but Florida Florida went through a a whole lot of pitchers in this game. Yes. Um, Katie Cronister, Natalie Lugo, Riley Trilchek, Danny Farley, and Elizabeth Hightower all pitched in this game, and it, this was early on in the season. Um. Obviously, for this year, um, Florida had lost Kelly Barnhill, who is, you know, one of the best Gator athletes ever in any sport. Um, so Florida was still trying to figure that out. And, you know, Walton is, is used to a really strong defensive team. So I'm sure at the time... You know, he probably didn't say this, or he, I mean, I, I know because I covered the games with you, he didn't say this. He never said it this specifically, but it was clear at the beginning of the year he was stressing about really finding out how he was going to have a stout of a defense as usual. Because if you recall from the year before, 2018-2019, um, or sorry, 2019 Florida really struggled to hit for a lot of the season that was okay because they were surviving off of the arm of Kelly Barnhill two out of the three days of the weekend. Um, but obviously with this year, you don't have that. So tell me about the pitching staff for Florida in this game and what, what you thought at the time versus maybe what sort of ironed itself out as the season went on before coronavirus ended it early. Definitely took, I guess there never really was a number one picked for this season, even though it did kind of start to look like Natalie Lugo was going to take that spot towards the end um, before everything got canceled. But yeah, uh, Coach Walton was very insistent that um, – Everybody had different strengths, and so everybody was going to get a chance to show what they've got, and then things would fall how they'd fall from there. Um, and, yeah, so the, the entire pitching staff was used in this game against Team USA, which I was like, okay, well, that, that makes sense. Like, if you're not going to use everybody in an exhibition game, then when are you going to use them? So I thought 
that they did well because they're playing Team USA. And, and yeah, five runs is kind of a lot, but also it's the national team. Um, but interesting enough, the two um, pitchers that kind of saw the most time in the circle this season struggled the most in this game, but they also pitched the longest. So I was just uh, about to say that. Yeah, Katie Cronister, I thought she did well this season. She didn't get a whole lot of time, um, I felt like, in the circle um, to kind of prove herself. But she'll be back this next year. She was one of the girls that said she would be coming back. Um, Natalie Lugo pitched two full innings and had four runs off four hits. And then Riley Trilicek, the freshman, had pitched – 1.2 innings and had one run off two hits. So grand scheme of things, I feel like they did a good job, but definitely things would start to get more ironed out as um, the season went on, I felt like. And and Lugo and Trilicek were definitely the two that saw the most time in the circle, I thought. Yeah, it's it's funny. I'm, I'm glad that you, you mentioned that the two pitchers that ended up seeing the most time probably had the toughest days out of the whole staff this game. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, I mean, as the season went on, Lugo and Trilicek were definitely the two the two main ones that you saw. If there was, if there was a must-have game for the Gators at any given time, I mean, you and I both could have bet a good amount of money that it was probably going to be Lugo or Trilicek in the circle. Um, but obviously at this point, only, what, five games into the season, uh, they hadn't really found that out yet. So, yeah, later on, Lugo and Trilicek had really had some big days. I remember Trilicek against UCLA um, just about won Florida that game against the number one team in the country. So uh, they ended up losing in – was it three or four extra innings? It was a, it was a couple extra innings. Um, yeah. But, but Trilicek was just on fire that game. Um, but yeah, I mean, this game and Trilicek is a true freshman. So, so Lugo gives up four of the runs and then Trilicek gives up the only other run. So, so yeah, like you said, the, the two pitchers that saw the most time, we were actually the only ones that give, that gave up runs. Granted, Danny Farley didn't even pitch a full inning. Um, Elizabeth Hightower only pitched a little bit over an inning. Katie Crosser only pitched a little bit over an inning. Um, I personally thought at this point in time that Elizabeth Hightower was going to kind of take over the reins as the number one. I thought she would eventually emerge as the number one pitcher because the year before, she was always Kelly Barnhill's relief. Um <laughs> Whenever there was a series, Barnhill would pitch Fridays and Sundays, and Hightower would pitch Saturdays. That was that was pretty consistent through most of the SEC schedule last year. So, with Barnhill gone, I naturally thought that Hightower was going to kind of be the next up. Um, but obviously, you know, it doesn't work that way. And in, in SEC softball, you have you just have, and especially at Florida with the pitching staff, you just have so much talent that. It's so hard to predict, you know, Tim Walton. If there's one thing Tim Walton can coach, it is defense and pitching. So it's just so hard to predict on any given year when there's not a Kelly Barnhill-esque player, what's going to happen. 
but as far as the as the hitting, what did you notice from the hitting? Because because again, like we've mentioned, the year before Florida really struggled to hit. Um, but even in this game, you know, to have three runs against Team USA is 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 a really impressive feat. So, kind of tell me about about the hitting and what you noticed. I, um, Kendall Lindemann had a run. Cheyenne Lindsay had a run, and uh, uh, T. Taylor had a run. So, what, what did you notice from from Florida's hitting this season? Definitely, I definitely felt like the beginning of the lineup was super strong because you had Hannah Adams, Kendall Lindman, and Charlotte Eccles as that kind of one, two, three punch at the beginning. Um, and that was always consistent. No matter who got shuffled in or out of the lineup or around, those three were pretty much always one, two, three in that order. Um, and Charlotte Eccles, this was her first season with the Gators. She uh, transferred from Michigan State. Um, and her and Kendall Lindman, who were the and, and Hannah Adams, but her and Kendall Lineman had were arguably the two best hitters on the team this season, and they both came from, um, I think, Big Ten schools. They both had transferred from Big Ten schools, and so they kind of had this special relationship there um, in that shared experience, and they both also um, were really clutch behind home plate and so they the the lineup I felt like was strong they kind of had to bail out the pitching staff on occasion but that's just because of all the uncertainty that was surrounding that position this season anyway um but in this game Kendall Lindemann had hit her uh second of seven home runs on the season um for and was responsible for two out of three runs that the team had earned um, in this game. So that kind of, I guess, foreshadowed how important she was going to be to the team this season. And luckily she'll be coming back too, which I'm really excited about because I like talking to her in media and um, I like watching her play um, first base and um, up at bat. So... I, I mean, again, I think that they did a really good job. And most of the time they were facing Monica Abbott in the circle who pitched for just over five innings. And she is crazy good, like crazy good. And I remember watching, she, she's an alum from Tennessee. And I remember watching her pitch and she has this thing where she kind of, like crouches all the way. I, I don't know if it's crouches, but like, I I guess I'll just say crouches. I don't really know how to describe it. But like all the way to the ground, and then kind of stands up and moves forward and throws that pitch, which I thought in, in my first in person softball, game, I was like, that's kind of funky, but it works. She she didn't allow any runs. She was the only pitcher on the team USA that didn't allow any runs, and. Yeah, shoot. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. But I, I thought they did a good job. I thought they did a good job considering the pitching staff that they um, had to face. Yeah, um, I I agree because like before this game, again, when you're just talking about um, last season and then 
early in this season, I mean, really the only other, like, team, the only other ranked decent team at this point in the year that they had faced was Michigan. And the pitching staff, of course, looked awful against Michigan in the USF Rawlings Invitational. Florida gave up 11 runs. And they only had two runs. And I was like, okay, if Florida's only going to have two runs against, like, a pretty good college team, then when they play Team USA, it's it's over. Like, they're not going to have a run. I, I, I legitimately thought they were going to lose this game 7 or 8 nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly that's not what happened. Clearly, I, I, I personally thought in a lot of ways, being that the USF Rawlings – they other than that Michigan game where they completely dropped the ball, you you didn't they didn't really get a chance to prove themselves in any of those games. I mean, I mean you played Illinois State, Fresno State, Georgia State, USF. The best team you played out of that is USF, and USF isn't bad, but they're not anything special. So at this point, I was like, okay, well, the one game they've had to prove themselves, they they were they didn't show anything at all. Um, but I, I thought that even though this was an exhibition game, and even though it was Team USA, and you know there were returning Gators, and there was kind of a lot of there's a lot of non softball stuff surrounding the softball game. I personally, from I guess just from an objective reporting standpoint, I was like, look, Florida really showed their stuff in this game. Like they really showed that this team could be something pretty good. I mean, to only lose five to three to Team USA to get three runs against a pitching staff that good and only give up five runs when you're still trying to figure out losing Kelly Barnhill against obviously what's going to be a really good, what's going to be really good hitting that you're facing. Like I personally, from a reporting standpoint, this was the most optimistic I had gotten since the start of the season. I definitely agree with that. And one message I think that um, Coach Walton also had stressed in uh, preseason media um, was this whole new change in dynamic of the team without a clear number one like Kelly Barnhill in the circle was that we really had to be, they really had to be strong um, in the lineup hitting. And they, the pitching staff would have to keep the runs of the opposing team to like two or three, because if it was anything more than that, then it would not be feasible for um, the hitting game to kind of like out outdo them, I guess. Um, and if you look at the schedule on the season, that's pretty much exactly what happened. I think there were a couple wins that they had where the other team had scored um, like four runs or something like that. But otherwise, it's two, three, one, zero, um, all in the win column. And so this game, I definitely, I mean, I figured that a little bit of it was, you know, we're having fun. It's an exhibition. We're not going to take it too seriously. But I, I think that that's what they needed, though, to kind of get their confidence up because all these girls, it was clear talking to them, um, that they're all competitive. I mean, they're division one athletes for goodness sakes, but you know, they, they had heard all the whisperings of the media and other coaches and stuff in their number five SEC preseason rank and all that kind of stuff that they were not going to be on the same level that they had been when they had Kelly Barnhill and Amanda Lawrence. Um, 
on their team and they wanted to prove everyone wrong and so understandably so and I mean that opening weekend you know you got a little bit of jitters and so that USF Rawlings Invitational while there were a few um, easy games sprinkled in there for them it was still kind of stressful I'm sure but being back at home being able to play um, with people that you know, have a shared experience with you that that also played at UF, that also played collegiate softball, and you guys all just kind of love the game and you love where you are. Um, you know, you can kind of shed those inhibitions and those that chip on your shoulder and kind of just play ball. And so I, I think that that was – the timing of this game was very important, and I think that they proved themselves to all of us, but they also proved themselves to each other if that makes sense. No, yeah, I I mean, you pretty much t- took, I think, what I said just a couple steps further um, with, yeah, proving themselves to themselves, I think is, is really the most important takeaway from that game because, you know, from us, from a media perspective and from a fan perspective, you know, they can they can prove whatever they want, but until they until they really believe that they're a badass group of girls – that is going to go win some big time games. They're not a badass group that's going to go win some big time games. You know what I mean? But in an exhibition like this against a team that good, where you know you lose, but really show yourself that you're capable of something, um, I, I think that that can make all the difference in the world. Um, so that said, um, I kind of want to, I kind of want to wrap this up. Uh, Peyton with, with a little bit of a bigger, a, a bigger picture of stuff. So I still have that story pulled up um, of your favorite game you ever covered. And at the very ending, it says, I pinched myself a few times while listening to them break down that night's game. I could have sworn I was dreaming. A couple of welts later, I realized I was really awake. Turns out I was just living my dream. Um, first question is, were you actually pinching yourself? <laughs> I think I actually was because sometimes this is kind of a weird tick thing admit or confess but sometimes when I am nervous about something I do kind of not hard or anything crazy like that but I do kind of like pinch inside of my hand a little bit so being down there it was probably more a, like a nerve coping mechanism thing pinching myself than yeah. kind of like wake up are you in reality or are you dreaming type of thing but yeah, I'm pretty sure it actually was. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and secondly, uh, not to – I, I kind of wanted to do this at the end. Um, and, you know, you don't have to get super into detail about this. You can kind of take with this what you what you want um, because I wanted most of this podcast to really be about the game and about you getting to cover it. But I do I do think that it is an interesting dynamic um, – and you, you've you've kind of hinted at it a little bit, but it is an interesting dynamic of you being a woman in sports with your first game being covering women in sports. Um, does that bring any added meaning to you? Is it just business as usual? What? How, how do you feel about that personally? That that definitely um, was special to me. A little bit added. Um, to that experience because while I'm excited to cover football this fall, like I'm super, super excited about it. Um, 
it was really cool to be able to see all of these girls because I, I mean, I feel like Gator fans are really appreciative of their sports that they've kind of picked and adopted as their own passion. So like all the different booster clubs, whether it be a revenue generating sport or not, I feel like they all kind of deliver the same amount of fervor and passion to a football game as they do to a softball game. They're really that um, taken with, with the sport and with the team and the program and everything like that. But for me, I I've had a, a, good experience I feel like so far I'm still relatively green in this business and this industry and everything but I feel like I've been really lucky in that I've worked with um guys and girls that are super chill and not creepy and not condescending and not you know just like not very fun people to work with I feel like I've been very lucky in that aspect and I know that not everybody else is so like being being there and being able to cover a women's division one sports team was really cool and I I feel like they're kind of underestimated to women's sports in general and but I do have hope for especially with everything going on in COVID and and everybody kind of just really craving anything sports related um women's teams getting more exposure like the WNBA for instance um that they will kind of be taken more seriously and that they will culminate more of a following and stuff like that so being a part of that system and being a part of a campaign that was specifically designed to kind of galvanize young women to be passionate about this sport and see other women like themselves a little bit older and show them that their dreams are attainable um, definitely made it more important to me than it would have been to have been covering, let's say like baseball. So like the male counterpart to softball. Yeah. So I, I think that's all, that's all incredibly important. And, you know, I can, I can only speak so much on it because I'm not a woman. So I don't know. I don't know how covering it from a woman's perspective is. I don't know how playing sports from a woman's perspective is. So, um, like having female members in the sports community on, on the podcast, I feel that it's only right that I give, give you a, as much of a, uh, platform as possible to talk about it. Um, so, but, but that is really cool to, to listen to that. And, and the fact that, um, it, to me, it, it's not just about the fact that, you know, oh, you're, you're, you're a woman covering women in sports. It's great. Whatever. Like, it's like, no, like this was a really dope game to cover. Like, regardless, like it really doesn't matter what your gender is. This is a dope game to cover. Mm-hmm. Like, like you're just watching really good athletics here. Um, and you know, to me, I, I'm pretty outspoken about this. I think softball is 10 times more fun to watch than baseball. Yes. Um, you I know, <laughs> right. Like it's not even close to me. And, you know, I'm sure there's people rolling their eyes at that when I say that, but I mean, it's 
It's completely true to me. I mean, baseball's one of the slowest sports I've ever watched. Um, and softball is just if you made it faster and more fun. Um, but uh, all of that said, uh, Peyton, go ahead and give kind of any maybe final overarching thoughts you have on this game, on covering this team, on you know how they're going to move forward with COVID perhaps. I know that that's a loaded thing and you could probably talk about that the rest of the day, but um, in as condensed of a version as possible, just kind of give me your, your overall thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm holding out hope at least for spring sports. I, as much as I hate to admit it, I really don't think that fall college sports are going to work. I don't even know if spring college sports are going to work. I really hope that they do. Um, and I would rather that they would be able to, but I think we've seen with, um, the MLB versus the NBA and the WNBA that bubble leagues are essential for success right now. And there's no feasible way for college to do the bubble. Even the, the idea of a conference only schedule for this kind of stuff doesn't make sense to me because you're still crossing state lines. So I really don't know how they're going to proceed, but let's say that by some miracle, they do get to play softball this season. If I was put back, on this beat in the spring I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too mad about it because you know four of the six seniors I believe from last year um or this year I guess decided to come back and use their extra year of eligibility from the NCAA so Jay Carraway, Katie Cronster, Jamie Hoover, Kendall Lindeman will all be back in Gainesville um and then a whole new crop of freshmen are coming in and so I I think that was a really fun team to cover last season and being able to preserve those four um, girls, I think will make this year if they're able to play even more special. So, yeah. And it adds an entire, an entire extra dynamic to covering the team and things to write about and trends to notice and stats to follow. And it's a whole extra gear of things to write about, which makes it, especially fun. Um, and I'm in complete agreement with you. I wouldn't be super sad about getting back on the softball beat because it's, it is a really fun sport to cover. Um, you know, Tim Walton's great. Like he's great to talk to all the, all the girls I've dealt with so far on the team have been great. Um, and it's just fun. Like I, I like the fact that some games you can have like a, like a three, one score line and other games you can have like an eight an eight, seven score line. Yeah. Um, and that in and of itself makes things really fun. Um, but that said, uh, Peyton, go ahead one more time and tell everyone where you can be found on Twitter. Um, the stuff you have in the works right now, uh, stuff you have in the works in the future and all that sort of fun stuff. Uh, yeah. So you can find me at P E Titus two five on Twitter. Um, I've got a pod- another podcast in the works uh, called Bits and Pieces with Chomp Talk that will be coming out this coming week. Um, also, be on the lookout for Noah Nice Feature about the economic impacts of football, no football, postponed, or loaned football. Um, I think we got some really interesting information that might surprise you from some of our sources. So that will be- definitely be um, a good read for anybody really interested in college sports at all, I think. Yeah, so... Um... So yeah, be, everyone be on the lookout with, with that. You'll find 
whenever it's up, you'll find Noah and Peyton's story at alligator.org. Um, and then uh, go hit up the podcast because Ainsley is an alligator staffer as well. Um, we support our fellow staffers here at the alligator. So uh, go hit them up once they're up um, and be sure to follow Peyton on Twitter so that you know when that is up. Um, so that said, once again, this has been the sports section of the podcast. Um, we are continuing our remember series where we highlight old Gator memories, Gator games, Gator moments, etc., etc. Um, so that said, this has been the Alligator Podcast. I'm your host, Graham Marsh. We appreciate everybody for listening, and we will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Alligator Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on Twitter at The Alligator, as well as find all of our latest stories at alligator.org. Thank you.